Hi, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth. And this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Dan Butner, an explorer, National Geographic fellow, Emmy award-winning journalist and producer and founder of Blue Zones. He's also the New York Times best-selling author of The Blue Zones, Lessons for Living Longer from the People Who've Lived the Longest, Thrive, Finding Happiness the Blue Zones Way, and Blue Zones Solutions. Dan has appeared as a longevity expert on The Oprah Winfrey Show, Good Morning America, The Today Show, CBS's Early Show, and CNN. In this episode, we dive into all things Blue Zones and their commonalities of longevity. Dan shares all about his latest book out this week, The Blue Zone Secrets for Living Longer, Lessons from the Healthiest Places on Earth, along with his new Netflix series also out this week. This is such an incredibly interesting conversation to learn about why our environments are so important to our longevity, what simple things we can all be doing to add years to our life, like having a sense of purpose, community, and eating a plant-based diet, and more. Keep listening to learn all about Dan and the Blue Zones. Dan, welcome to the podcast. It is an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you on today. I'll be right with you. I'm finishing my bowl purely Elizabeth. (laughs) (laughs) I I love it. Well, first of all, this episode will be coming out right when your new book launches, as well as your Netflix series. So huge congratulations to you. Thank you very much. You know, like every overnight success, it's taken 20 years. But this uh, Secrets of Long Life is for people interested in living up to 10 years longer. Based on populations that actually achieve it, I think this will be a useful contribution to the uh, health and wellness canon. Absolutely. All right. So let's take us back 20 years ago and start there for a moment just to ground us. Whatever inspired you to start to study longevity in the first place? I had a company that solved ancient mysteries and we solved about 15. We had a huge following, mostly in online and in schools. And my company, every year we had to find two great mysteries. And one of them we found in Okinawa, Japan, they had the longest disability-free life expectancy in the world. In other words, they, they have what we want. They lived a long time without chronic diseases like diabetes and heart attack, heart, heart disease and GI tract cancers, breast cancer, uh, low rates of dementia. And then they, they died very quickly. They, they were living about 10 years longer with a, almost a 30-fold better chance of reaching age 100 among women, not among men, but among women. And I said to myself, aha, now that's a great mystery. And um, it was so successful that a couple years later, I decided to, to build a company just around finding places in the world where people live the longest and methodically, scientifically, carefully distilling their lessons for the rest of us. And that's Blue Zones. And so in that first discovery, a, a, first of all, how long did that, that initial research take to find those, those five zones? Well, Okinawa... That existed in the academic literature. There, there's a couple researchers, uh, twin brothers by the name of Wilcox, 
who actually published research on Okinawa. But identifying Sardinia and um, the Seventh-day Adventists, that took about two and a half years. And I wrote a cover story for National Geographic called Secrets of Long Life, same as my book. Then finding the other two blue zones, Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica and Icaria, Greece, each of those took another two years each. So it really wasn't, you know, somewhere between 2003 and 2009. So it took six years to find all of them. Of course, considerably longer. The research continues to this day to tease out what these places are doing to produce manifestly longer lives and, and, and less less disease. What were you most surprised by in the beginning? In the beginning, I was most surprised that they didn't take supplements. They didn't take pills. They didn't exercise in the way we think of exercise. They, they weren't on diets. They didn't seem to be doing anything special to pursue health. You know, you figure that all these incredibly healthy people, some places, uh, fewer than 2% of the people suffered from obesity compared with 43% of us in America. And they weren't doing any of the same things that are marketed to us. They weren't doing high therapy. <laughs> no, no, they weren't biohacking or taking testosterone or metformin or resveratrol or a cabinet full of pills and supplements. None of that. Not CrossFit, not yoga. They did a little Tai Chi, but yeah, it's the absence of all the things that we think produce health and longevity shocked me. Yeah, that's incredible. So I actually would love to start, rather than starting with what the commonalities were and some of those pieces, I'd love to start here in the U.S. And really, as you're saying, you know, we're doing all these health and wellness things that are keeping our minds and busy and probably a lot more stressed just thinking about all the things that we should be doing. But what have we really gotten wrong in the U.S. in terms of longevity? First and foremost, I think people listening today, if you're overweight and unhealthy, it's probably not your fault. I think mostly we get wrong by shaking our finger at people and saying it's your responsibility to get healthy. I know that's disruptive, but I'll tell you why. 1980, when many of us were still alive, there, there was about a third as many people suffering from obesity about a seventh as many people suffering from diabetes and pre-diabetes, about an eighth as many people suffering from dementia. And you say to yourself, well, back in 1980, did they have better diets? Were people more responsible about their health? Uh, was there, were we better humans back then? And the answer is no. What's changed? Not us, our environment. And it's very difficult to escape the highly processed foods it's very difficult to live in a place that doesn't require us to get in a car to make most of our trips. You know, the average American eats 220 pounds of meat a year, another two or 300 pounds of dairy and dairy products, uh, 110 pounds of sugar. Uh, it's not that they're gluttonous. It's just that if you go to a restaurant, the entrees are full of those foods. And those are the foods that in blue zones are considered celebratory foods. And in America, it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I would say that's mostly what we're getting wrong. But we're increasingly imploding into our handheld devices. Big mistake. Our attention spans are dropping. We're not spending enough time interacting as humans. 
just bumping into each other on the street or taking the time to have a face-to-face conversation with people. When I first started Blue Zones, that started when I was reporting on that. People didn't. People thought, well, that just seems like soft and facile. But now we're finding there's a there's an ocean of research that shows that connecting socially and having a sense of purpose and and uh, keeping your mind active contributes to longevity in a way much greater than in our biohack we can pursue. You know, I was actually just visiting our oat farmer in Montana, and she shared that they are an organic regen farm, but they weren't always that way. And she had gotten sick, which is what prompted her to change their farming practices. But she was mentioning how, you know, the small town that they live in, a big farming community is one of the highest rates of cancer due to all of the pesticides, of course, that they believe. So as, as you think about from environment, even in the U.S. versus elsewhere, like how big of an impact has that had, do you think? It's hard to say, but to your point, the grains in the blue zone are for the most part organic and more way more likely to get an ancient grain than a genetically modified grain. It may have something to do with it. I believe, however, the true culprit is sugar and overly processed foods. You know, we think of oat milk as being healthy, but emulsifiers seem to interact, inter, uh, interrupt our microbiomes and signal to our bodies to store fat. High fructose corn syrup, same thing. I'm sure pesticides and GMOs have a, have an impact. You can't measure it, but we know metabolically for sure that the processed foods and the sugar and the vast overconsumption of meat, cheese, and eggs are contributing to the chronic disease load. All right, so let's dive in to your new book and what was the inspiration behind it? Why why now? So I've been working on this uh, four-part series for Netflix for over five years. And um, the last two years, I've taken trips back to all the Blue Zones. And the beauty thing of working for Netflix is that we had a huge research team. So I was able, able to call all the latest research on Blue Zones and incorporate it into not only the show, but a new book. So about 18 new insights on on how people in blue zones are living longer. And um, all my books are published by National Geographic. I've worked with three of the top photographers and 99% of their photos have never been seen. Wow. So I took this opportunity to to uh, showcase 300 of their best it's photographs. It's absolutely beautiful, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, most of those shots were shot by David McLean, our photographer. But then... I just wanted to have one sort of capstone book that for people really interested in following the footsteps of people who actually make it to 100, uh, this would be an accessible, a visually stimulating, and easy to follow manual on how to live to 100. Not biohacking. This doesn't come from a test tube or a Petri dish or some um, you know genetic code. This, these are real people with an average set of genes who are getting the outcome in life we want. Live a long time, die quickly, leave a lot left over. Left, left over. So what are some of those, let's talk about some of those commonalities in your, your power nine. Yeah, so 
first and foremost, they're eating mostly a whole food plant-based diet, 90 to 98%, depending on where you go. Meat is only consumed about five times per month. The pillars of every longevity diet in the world are whole grains, wheat, corn, rice, but there's also some of the grains that show up in your um, in, in your granolas. Millet, for example, is big in Okinawa. Tubers like sweet potatoes, nuts, greens, seasonal fruits, and the cornerstone of every longevity diet in the world are beans, beans of every sort. If you're eating about a cup of beans a day, it's probably worth an extra four years of life expectancy. They don't exercise, but they're 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 in they move every 20 minutes or so because their environments are such that every time they go to work or a friend's house, it occasions a walk. They have gardens out back. They haven't been obsessive about finding mechanical conveniences to do their housework and their garden work and their kitchen work. They're still kneading bread by hand. They have vocabulary of purpose. These are the other things that we tend to overlook. The reason we overlook them is because you can't make any money at them. It's very hard to package purpose. But purpose is worth about seven years of life expectancy over being rudderless in life. Uh, So is um, uh, having a good social circle around you. Four or five people you can count on on a bad day who have healthy behaviors themselves, who are plant-based. We know that if your three best friends are obese and unhealthy, there's a about 150% better chance you'll be overweight yourself. So surrounding yourself with healthy people who care about you is hugely impactful and important. Thinking about not what to add to your diet, but what to take out. I mean, a, a lot of our health problems come because the average America consumes about 500 more calories than we need. And in blue zones, they have strategies, unconscious in many cases, for keeping themselves from eating these extra calories. One is they tend to eat a huge breakfast, a medium-sized lunch, and a very small or no dinner. Uh, They eat off of small plates. They tend to pre-plate their foods and then put their leftovers away ahead of time. They eat with family. Uh, These are all proven strategies. They don't have a TV in their kitchen. Proven strategies to mindlessly eat less. Uh, They belong to faith. Almost all of them belong to a faith-based community, which is associated with four to 14 extra years of life expectancy. And they put family first, which seems sort of trite, but um, keeping your aging parent nearby, not warehousing them in a retirement home, is worth about six extra years of life expectancy in most cases than a place where they're not cared after, cared for as much or feel like they're useful. Investing in your your partner, investing in your children. These are all things that stack the deck in favor of longevity and things that we don't pay much attention to, but work better than any vitamin or supplement we'll, we'll spend $150 billion a year on. So an important distinction too I want to make and make sure I'm getting this right too is that these people while living to 100 or beyond they're living to that point and thriving, right? They're not living there in Correct. the last 10 years. They're in bed feeling sick and diseased, obviously, right? Right. Yeah, just to put a finer point on that, Blue Zones, the value proposition is living about an extra 10 years without chronic disease. So in Blue Zones, 
they're they're manifesting the potential of an average set of genes. So you, me, and everybody listening right now, if you adopt the best habits and you have an average set of genes and you're a female, you can expect 95 years. If you're a male, you can expect about 93. And in these blue zones, they're living a long time, not because they have better machinery than we do. It's because they're not getting the diseases that foreshorten their lives, like type 2 diabetes, metabolical syndrome, uh, cancers of the GI tract, dementia, heart cardiovascular disease. That's why they're living a long time. And because so many more people get to age 95, you also have that small, a higher, what you have the same percentage, but a bigger pool of people who are making it to 100. So making it to 100 is still, you not only have to have, for the most part, a very healthy lifestyle, or I would argue an environment, but you still have to have kind of won the genetic lottery. You have to have both to make it to a hundred. Sure. Okay. One of the things as you mentioned about food that I was surprised reading in your book somewhere was that their food was more or less fewer ingredients. You talked about how it was sort of the same 20 or so ingredients that they utilized, which as I think about you know, some of the things reading about the, our, our gut and hearing we should be having such a diverse diet and including so many more foods. So that was a really interesting difference than what I would have presumed. Yeah. So I, at any given time, most of their food comes from about 20 ingredients. Th- those 20 ingredients change a little bit over the course of the year because they'll have a summer garden and a winter garden and there'll be different you know, mostly fruits and vegetables in different seasons. So the total number is greater, but the fruits and vegetables that they're eating are are organic. They still have a little dirt on them. So they're getting the the microbes from the soil. They still have a wider range of micronutrients and, and macronutrients than say a vegetable that traveled from Chile to California, right. um, which a lot of ours, ours have. But yeah, it's, look, I can't say for sure that having 100 ingredients isn't better for you. But I'm, all I can say is these are people who, who are living 10 years longer without disease, and this is what they eat. And I, and I describe that very clearly in two books. One is called The Blue Zone Solution, and then I create a food book, a recipe book called The Blue Zone's Kitchen, where I actually gathered the recipes that, you know, these old women have made over time. So the actual food they ate and they're, it's peasant food, simple recipes, but, but what is, I like to describe maniacally delicious. So they've, you know, as you've done with your, with your products, they pay very close attention to what tastes good because at the end of the day, the most important ingredient in any longevity recipe is taste. You know, I could say that millet or tofu or bitter melon are the healthiest foods in the world, but if you don't like them, you ain't going to eat them over time or very tiny percentage of people eat over time. So the, the, the secret sauce is taking these simple peasant ingredients and blending them and preparing them in a way that taste so good you crave them because there's no pill there's no there's no short-term fix for a lot there's nothing you can do this week or this month 
that are it's going to help you live an extra five years at the end of your life. The only thing that works are the things that you do for years or decades. And eating delicious food is pretty easy to get people to do. Absolutely. So as you think about those keys, like eating delicious food, is there of your power nine that you've observed, is there one or two that you think have more weight than another? Like if you if you didn't have purpose, but you had the eating or how do you think about that? Yeah, so I think of it as an interconnected web of mutually supporting factors. So yes, they're eating wisely. They're eating mostly whole food, plant-based because their life is underpinned with purpose. Uh, They're surrounded by four or five friends who reinforce this kind of eating. You know, they're, they're eating the same way. So when they get together at each other's homes, it's the same healthy food. And um, they live in places where the healthy choices that are the easy or in, in most cases, unavoidable choices. So it's not, you know, diets largely rely on presence of mind and discipline. And both of those are short term. You know, we don't, we, we get distracted. And, you know, we, uh, discipline is like a muscle, muscle fatigues and we quit doing it. But setting up these long-term strategies uh, around eating the right food, i.e. making some friends who are eating whole food plant-based and um, knowing your sense of purpose. You know, if your sense of purpose is making sure my my child gets into a healthy adult or a healthy grandparent even, that provides kind of unconscious motivation. And then, and this is disruptive to a lot of people, but moving the average American adult moves about 10 and a half times in their lifetime. And each of those times gives you an opportunity to move to a healthier place. Uh, so the extreme example is Kentucky. There are parts of Kentucky where life expectancy is 20 years less wow. than Boulder, Colorado. And by the way, they're good Americans in both places. And there's a certain percentage of Americans in both places who have heroic discipline and can get on the right diet and exercise program and stick to it. But some way, it just seems moving to Boulder, Colorado, stacks the deck in favor of 20 extra years. I'm here in Boulder, Colorado, by the way. There you go. That's why you're so exuberant (laughs) and and full of life. Uh, I didn't know that, actually. It was just a lucky guess. There's lots (laughs) of other places in America. But this supports my central argument, which is Health and longevity is much more a result of the right environment than it is the right behaviors, because behaviors don't last, environments do. So on that topic, as you have then taken your learnings and really started to apply that to the U.S. and communities here, and we'd love to hear about your work with Blue Zone projects, because as you're saying, it. You've created or helping to create these environments. And I just love how that perspective of also like it doesn't have to be as complicated of all these different hacks that we're doing. And if we can get this right, how can that help? So what's that been like and and how has that been going across the country? Slow, but but it's exploding right now. So, okay, the central premise of all blue zones is don't try to change your 
behavior change your environment. Remember, in blue zones, they're not on diets. They're not on exercise programs. They don't take supplements. They do almost nothing to stay healthy. They just live their lives. So applying that observation, in 2009, I got a grant from AARP to manufacture a blue zone in America. And I got a million bucks from them. And I spent almost all of that money hiring top academics who knew how to shape our environment. So what do I mean by that? I break environments down into three uh, subsets. The the uh, smallest subset is your home. Turns out there's about 60 different things you can do to your home so that you eat less, move more, socialize more, and live your sense of purpose mindlessly. I, I chronicled them in a book called The Blue Zone Challenge. And some of it's in this book, Secrets of Living Longer. But there's lots of evidence. You can engineer out about 150 pounds, 150 calories of mindless eating and engineer in an extra 100 calories of movement by just the way you set up your home. So that's the smallest domain. The second domain is your social circle. Like I said before, if you pick the right friends, health behaviors are measurably contagious. So if you're around people's idea of recreation is physical activity and they're eating plant-based, you're going to mindlessly do it. The third domain are the buildings we spend our time in, our schools for our children's attend, workplaces, grocery stores, restaurants, and faith-based organizations. So uh, when we go into a blue zone city, we have a whole team that tries to certify a critical mass of all those places so people unconsciously move more, eat less, socialize more, and live their purpose. And then finally, we work with city governments to help them adopt policies that favor healthy food over junk food and junk food marketing, to favor the pedestrian over the motorist. Uh, Boulder, Colorado is the prime example of that. It's actually quicker and easier to bike across Boulder than it is to drive. That's because that was a very conscious effort on the part of your department, uh, your, your city planner. And then to favor the non-smoker over the smoker. So people, places, and policies, I bring a team in for five years. It's depending on the size of the city, anywhere from five to 35 people full-time. And we've now been in 72 cities. Wow. Uh, we've lowered the obesity rate by as much as 15%. Fort Worth, Texas, we helped save them about a quarter of a billion dollars a year wow. in healthcare costs. Not because we, you know, tried to convince a, a million beef obsessed Texans uh, <laughs> to 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 you know stop doing what they want to do. We simply shaped their environment so it was easier to get some vegetables once in a while, and it was easier for them to walk places once in a while as opposed to driving everywhere. And their city, this is largely thanks to Mayor Betsy Price. There are more places to bump into your friends and socialize. And that's what we find in Blue Zones really works. Every single city we work with, we measure it with, uh, uh, we hire Gallup to measure it, third party. And every single city we worked in, we've seen measurable improvements of health and well being, not because we try to convince everybody to change their behaviors, but because we set them up for success by reshaping their surroundings. So the healthy choice is the easy choice. I love that. That's incredible. 
and feels like something that's really a tactic of long lasting habit change versus a mere, hey, I'm going to try this thing. And we know that those things don't stick, right? So this is something that sounds like it really works and has been so impactful. As you think about, you were mentioning for people at home, the ability to increase calories or, or steps or this or, or the reverse, what are some of those tips that you like to share to really set up your home in the most blue zone friendly way? So your kitchen, we know that people have a coast toaster on the counter weigh about six pounds more after two years than people who don't have a toaster on the counter. That's a couple studies. Why? Because a toaster reminds you to put something in it every time you see it. And what we put in toasters tends not to be all that healthy. So taking your toaster off the counter, establishing a junk food drawer that's out of the way, a little bit hard to get to, either way up or way down. We're all going to bring some junk food into our house, not wagging my finger and telling you you can't have junk food in your house, but put it in a pantry or put it down where you got to stoop down uncomfortably to get it. Uh, The worst place to have your bag of chips is uh, on your counter with a clip on it because that every time, um, you know, humans tend to be on a seafood diet. Mm -hmm. We eat the food we see. So every time we walk through the kitchen, we see that delicious bag of potato chips. I'll just have a little bite of that. I forgot they were there. Whereas if they're out of the way, it makes a difference. Cornell Food Lab did the research on this. Setting up your bedroom. Sleep, we've heard this over and over. Every decent longevity book, they say the same things. Peter Atia just came out with a, a book about longevity. And he goes on and on with these multisyllabic words that you can barely understand. But his, <laughs> his uh, conclusion at the end is eat nutritious food, get more exercise, mostly lifting weights, get rid of stress and sleep more. All right. Well, same thing as we heard in the blue zone, just not as, you know, with the big, I use nickel words instead of dollar words. But um, a big thing is getting sleep. So there's lots of research that shows if you sleep in a completely dark room, that if you don't have electronics in your room and you set your thermostat to about 65, 66 degrees, you're going to sleep better. So set up your room. So that you're stacked the deck in favor of sleep. Getting rid of mechanical conveniences. Maybe we don't need the mixer, uh, the electric mixer, doing it by hand. That's exercise that counts. Getting rid of the garage door opener, lifting that garage. Getting rid of some of the uh, mechanical tools we use for yard work and using hand tools. Since it's subtly engineering back in the physical activity, we've let gadgets engineer out. Our grandparents burnt about three times as many calories as we do in non-exercise physical activity because they didn't have all these conveniences. And it's really the unconscious physical activity um, that's better, that is much better than the conscious physical activity because even though we resolve in our brain to go to the gym every other day, the reality is if you look at the data, People sign up for gym memberships are going fewer than once a week after seven months. We intend to do it, but we don't. Meanwhile, if our house is set up to nudge us into physical activity, unconsciously, we'll do it. Those are great tips. I love that. So curious to hear, as you are working with these different cities across the country, how does that happen? Are there cities that reach out to you? Do you reach out to cities? And and how do you think 
that's going to progress over the next couple of years? I think it's going to blow up uh, in a good way because, you know, we're spending almost 20% of our GDP on on uh, mostly chronic disease. About 85% of that is on avoidable disease, spending $4.4 trillion a year. And to put that in perspective, the value of all farmland in America is only $3.7 trillion. Oh. So we burn through more health. Uh, we spend more on chronic disease every year than the value of all of our crop producing land. And that's just getting worse. And we have to do something. The healthcare system is not working. We spend more and more on these heroic interventions, yet diabetes, heart disease, most types of cancer, dementia continues to grow. Our waistlines continue to grow. At a certain point, we're going to see the political will shift to what does work. And what does work is reshaping the environment so that people are set up to get healthier. And we have a 10-year head start on everybody else doing just this. Yeah. It is going to be the way of the future. It's interesting. I was just this past week, I had a, a Costco meeting in, in San Diego, but it was actually with Costco in Mexico. And the buyer actually asked us, she said, would you ever think about coming out with children's cereal? And we'd thought about it, but not seriously. And she said, you know, in Mexico, you're not allowed to advertise cartoon characters on that's right sugary cereal. And so, you know, we have these, but you don't know that it's that. And like, I would love to have a healthy cereal that could actually have a cartoon character that it would attract a child. And so I thought that was super interesting. And to your point, the exact thing about the environment creating that for especially our children and obesity. That's right. And moreover, if your uh, cereal has uh, over a certain threshold of sugar, there's going to be a big black sign on the printed right on the front of your package that your product has excess sugar and excess calories. We don't have the political courage to do that in America. So much of the packaged goods in America do have excess sugar, and the the lobbyists are so powerful in the packaged and processed food industry that uh, we don't have the courage to make it clear. So this is an example. Yeah, do you think that ever changes in the in the near future? Or no, in the U.S. Uh, probably not. I don't know. I, it, it should. I mean. But it's not in the best interest of um, the processed food industry. And the processed food industry has uh, lots of money to pay off the lobbyists. And to get elected in America, you need a lot of money. And um, we put business interests in front of our health over and over again. You know, so much of the grains that feed animals and the grains that go into our processed junk foods are heavily subsidized by the farm bill. That's not going to change because the farm lobby is so powerful. So, you know, we have this environment that just continues to fuel sickness. You know, I don't, as a reminder, I don't work on the federal level. So I, I have no idea how to fix these systematic problems. But I do know that a city government, a, a chamber of commerce, a city council, and a mayor, they have a lot of power to shape the municipal environment. Yours in Boulder, Colorado, it's got a great history of, you know, there's no building over four stories there. That was because of a, of a principled city hall and some activists who said, we don't want to give over our beautiful skyline to uh, developers. Uh, you guys have a green belt anywhere in Boulder. You can, 
15 minutes, you're in green spaces and you can exercise healthily. That's because of, you know, of city council in a city that actually buys up green space and you have a healthy food environment because there's restrictions on junk food. So a lot of the success can be done at the local level. And that's where I like to focus. And that's really promising. It feels like that can really change. So we're grateful for all your work. Thank you. So before we we jump into some rapid fire Q&A, going back to your newest book, what has been the biggest change that you've seen in your research and in, in the different communities from when you started to to now? So Secrets of Long Life, which is the latest, it, it I think I captured 18 new insights, but a few of the top line ones were um, Roman Lagrande, collaborator, interviewed about 190-year-olds to find out some of their lifestyles. And we find out the vast majority of them drink. I know there's lots of negative uh, press now about alcohol, and it may be true, but I can also tell you that it doesn't seem to interfere with living a long, healthy life. Now, that said, people in Icaria and Sardinia are drinking basically organic wine uh, that often is homemade, you know, relatively low in alcohol, 13 or 14%, you know, no sulfides in it. That walnuts seem to be the healthiest nut to eat. They impart about three extra years of life expectancy. Uh, eating nuts as a whole is worth about two, but walnuts is even better. Uh, that dairy is more strongly associated with breast and prostate cancer than than I thought. As little as a half a cup of milk or other dairy a day. Then it might not be cheese, but you know the kind of dairy we drink raises your chance of those cancers by about fifty percent. All blue zones are disappearing. That's probably the saddest finding that as the American food culture arrives to these places in globalization, they they quickly adopt the same behaviors we are in the United States. And not surprisingly, their diabetes and obesity numbers are are soaring and uh, their life expectancy numbers are plummeting. Well, that's a pretty dismal finding. It's dismal, but the good news is at the same time, I can point to 72 American cities who've returned taken the wisdom of the blue zones and reverse their unhealthy trends. So even though the blue zones themselves have disappeared, I, I we captured the blueprint. It's there for us to take into the future and, you know, make, make for a healthier world. Absolutely. A lot of opportunity ahead. All right. We're going to jump into some rapid fire Q and a. What do you want to be best known for? The insight and the manifestation that if you want a healthier world, change your environment, not your behavior. What are you most proud of over the years? Well, I'm proud of my children, first and foremost. I have three of them. But um, in our Blue Zone cities collectively, I have helped save about 7 million life years, which is more than any doctor. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, that's an estimate, but it's up there. Wow. Something that you are working on personally in your own health journey. Well, it's, you know, I live 
I live in very healthy places where I walk. I swam, I, you know, I swam in the ocean this morning before I got on with you. You know, I, I, the only thing I wish I could change is I tend to eat late dinners. I live in Miami and uh, all the, all the action is at <laughs> night. So I go out at night and I eat with everybody else. You know, I'm, I know, I'm, I'm sure it's healthier to eat a dinner more like four or five and then let your digestive system rest. But, um, you know, I know I should change that, but I like my social life too much. I was not say, but it sounds like you're out having fun. So that probably outweighs it. I am. <laughs> I am, which is also good for your, good for your body, good for your soul anyway. Favorite words to live by. Know your sense of purpose and live it. A favorite book for growth. Journey to the East by Herman Hesse. What is that about? It's a fable about the power of service. What is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Personally, it's not foregoing my social life for some more regimented health prescriptive. I love that. Well, in closing, what's next for you? I'm working on a story on healthy life expectancy, which uh, I'm just getting started with now. And um, I, I started a food company with the founder of Whole Foods and the founder of Vital Farms. It's called Blue Zones Kitchen. You know, kind of entering your realm, we'll have five frozen dinners, Whole Food Blue Zone dinners, maniacally delicious in, in um, Whole Foods stores beginning uh, beginning in November. And that's an exciting a new That's adventure for super me. exciting. What are the five? Can you share the five flavors of the dishes? Yeah, one of them is a minestrone bowl from uh, inspired by Sardinia. We have a, uh, a miso bowl, a lasagna bowl. I mean, they're all foods that were a burrito bowl, foods that you know we're, we're familiar with, but you know, our team was maniacal about getting the best ingredients freezing them at the right temperature so the ingredients don't turn into mush and they're more flavor forward. So it doesn't have the sodium and it doesn't have the uh, added sugar, but you know, we tested this with, I'm sure you do the same thing, five different focus groups and even meat eaters love them, but you can turn off your brain and eat these foods and you know, it's good for the rest of your family, you and the rest of your family. So exciting. Well, congratulations. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Everyone, check out the Netflix, check out the new book. And we can't wait to try the products when they're out in stores in the next couple of months. If you have any other questions, um, I'm at Dan Butner, Instagram and danbutner.com on the web. I have a free newsletter, research-based. That's anybody want to try it. I really enjoyed meeting you, Liz. I feel like I have a new friend and uh, now when I eat my granola in the morning, I'll be able to put a face with my, with my cereal. Love it. Thanks so much, Dan. Have a great day. All right. Nice meeting you. Ciao, Bye. ciao. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.